Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to Inspiring Women. Today we are speaking with Joanne Burns. Joanne Burns is a board and C-suite healthcare business and technology leader with strategic operational and governance experience in companies ranging from Fortune 500 to early stage startups. Now, just a little bit about Joanne's background. She started off as a registered nurse at Memorial Sloan Kettering, went on to Stanford, and there from being a nurse, she went into IT and started to learn the ropes of management, project management, uh, management of teams, which led to a switch from the clinical setting and actually over to the vendor setting. Joanne was many years as the chief strategic officer of Cerner, a global HIT company, software and systems used across almost every corner of healthcare in the United States and globally. Post-Cerner, Joanne retired, I say that in air quotes, and jo- uh, began her board service. Today, Joanne's on the boards of SNOMED, Availity, ATI Physical Therapy, as well as Anara Health. And Joanne, we're really excited to be speaking with you today. Well, thanks, Lori. It's great to be here, and uh, I'm really excited, especially given it's International Women's Day. I know. What a great day to be talking. This is so exciting. So why don't we start with, um, what are you doing now, Joanne? So now, as you you said, Lori, in your intro, I'm doing mostly board service, and I'm really enjoying it. It gives me an opportunity to bring together all of the experience I've had across the clinical operating technology and strategy sectors from providers and from a publicly traded company all together and to be able to help other companies really thrive. And so it's, it's really, to me, a very rewarding part of my career. Well, it's, um, it's great to be at the pinnacle of your career and be able to provide all that experience and background. And part of what the reason I wanted to do this podcast was just to speak with both women like yourself who have done so many things, but also really give some of the backgrounds to women who are early stage in their careers. So I want to go back a little bit. You started out as a registered nurse. Now that is traditionally a female oriented profession, not so much anymore these days, but then you went into technology, technology, also not so more these days, but back when you made the switch, um, much more male dominated. Why did you make the switch way back when? You know, it was really a matter of where I felt like there was a need and it was more about providing operational and clinical expertise to the technology side of healthcare. Healthcare technology was, especially in the software industry, was really, if you will, starting out and getting going and really kind of taking hold. And I felt like the software that we would get to use as a clinician really was not fit for purpose and meeting the needs. So I felt like by going into technology and into the IT side, I could lend that perspective and bring that to the table so that hopefully for the lives of clinicians and patients everywhere, the world would be a better place 
through the use of technology, which I think is a key foundational element to improving healthcare. Well, I think we know that it's a key foundation to, um, for healthcare. And certainly, you know, I came from HIT as well. And a lot of the criticisms of technology systems in the clinical setting is there are not enough clinical voices at the table in figuring out the workflows and everything else. So I think that that perspective, obviously, very, very helpful. But let's move over to the executive side of things, Joanne. I mean, you've been an executive leader for some time now, and you spent the good portion of your career at Cerner. Cerner today has a far more diverse team, um, executive leadership team, than it certainly did when you began your executive leadership there. So I wanted to talk about what is it like to be the um, one of few or maybe the only female executive leader at the table? What did that look like and how did you deal with it? I think that's a great question, Lori, and I think there's a couple of elements to it. And one is first, it is incredibly humbling, if you will, to be representing half of the human population and the females, if you will, and so many healthcare providers are females, being able to provide their voice at the table for this organization. I think the other piece about it is that it can be a little overwhelming and daunting and uh, just really kind of figuring out how to find my voice in a way that made sense and that was meaningful to people and could bring the most value. I tried to think through where can I provide the most value in any situation and what does that look like? And sometimes it could mean being, you know, the clinician in the room. Sometimes it could mean being the female in the room. And sometimes it could mean just being a different perspective, or maybe it meant, you know, providing a similar perspective. So I think it really just kind of transcended whatever you know role that we have and which goes far beyond our, just our gender, but it allows you the opportunity to have that seat at the table and to be able to share that perspective. Did you feel like sometimes women talk about um, that they have to work harder or feel like they need to know more than anyone else to feel, whether it's being recognized or just dealing with their own confidence sitting at those tables? How did you deal with it? Did you work harder? Did you try to know more? Or was it, you know, it sounds like it was a bit strategic in terms of how you approach those tables. You know, I can tell you a story from way back, and this was prior to Cerner, and this was when I first went into IT. And I can remember that, you know, I was I was challenged a fair amount because I really had no IT background and technology background. And we had a project and we needed to get, uh, if you will, some a server farm set up. And the person who was in charge of really our, our mainframes and servers and data centers really was challenging me on, hey, where are we going to put this? I don't have room in my data center. And, and I really kind of took a step back and said, you know, we're all providing expertise that's different here. You provide expertise related to servers and data centers. I'm going to leave it to you to figure out where that server, you know, the, where the server farm should go and which data center. To me, it doesn't matter as long as it meets these, this criteria and meets these needs that we have. And what I took from that moment and learned from that moment was that I, I didn't allow the challenging and the testing and always to be the, I had to know everything, you know, and I took that and I turned that back to how do you create a team moment in that and make it be part of a team. And I'm not going to be threatening to you. That's your space. That's what you do. 
that's important to you. Um, and that's important to us in collectively being successful. So I think that was one of the key things that I learned is not having to always be that person who knew everything. And so I, I tried to really kind of turn the tables a little bit on that and make it just make it a, a positive and outcome focused. And we all can celebrate the success. I think, you know, some other times that, you know, it was challenging at the table sometimes, and it wasn't always welcome. And what, what I learned to really think through is being, you know, accepted in the business setting was pretty important. And I needed to fight that battle where I needed to fight it. And I didn't have to fight it per se all the time, but it was more about being invited to important meetings. And if they were important to the business, I needed to be there. It didn't mean that I needed to be uh, social friends with all of the other people at the table or included in some of the discussions that were more um, sort of socially focused. I think I had to figure that out for myself and I had to go find that in other places. But focusing on the battle that was most important was ensuring I had the seat at the table and a voice at the table around the business discussions and the strategy that was happening. Well, what I really like about both those stories, so the server farm story is not taking responsibility for somebody else's accountability to the job they needed to do. And again, in you know some of the things that women do, the traps they fall into. And, and this is also true for, I think, early managers where you take on the responsibility that actually is with other people. It sounds like you separated that really well. That was helpful. Um, in terms of the other things you were talking about, Joanne, there's also emotion that comes with the strategic, the strategic thinking. And you sounds like you really brought a level of calm and understanding that this is where you needed to be, you needed to be in whatever conversation. But I'm imagining, maybe this is just a reflection of how I process things, that there's emotion that goes with it. So how did you deal with the emotional side of these decisions and working through being recognized where you expect it to be, as well as um, just, you know, what you might have been thinking about. Who were your outlets? Who did you turn to for advice? I think that that's a question that's a great one, Lori, just because it's one that's seldom asked, but yet it's absolutely critical to our ability to succeed in whatever role we take on in whatever setting and whatever the mix of people we're working with. Because I will say that I think that everybody has moments where they're feeling insecure. Um, I know I certainly felt like the imposter syndrome, which we hear about, mm -hmm. that would get to me on occasion. And especially when I ex was experiencing, I will say some unconscious bias. And I think that most of the people that I worked with were not necessarily, you know, kind of trying to be mean-spirited or trying to be, uh, leave me out of things. But I think that there was an unconscious bias at, at work sometimes or in other decisions that were made. So I tended to try to figure out some other ways to network. And I, there was times that I felt pretty alone, but I figured it out. And how do I create some connections. And certainly my husband was a huge source of support as I think we would all, all expect of our significant others. But I think the other thing is that I found counsel with other women, other successful women who would ask for advice. I did some reading on some different books. I, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. I did some uh, just, you know, I'd have moments for anecdotal discussion even, and, and I use humor a lot for stress relief, and I just found people to laugh with 
or I'd bring up situations and I could find the humor in them and I and people would laugh with me and then sometimes I'd get the most valuable insight from that kind of where people would say hey that is not a you you didn't do anything wrong or you didn't do something that created this situation you know just kind of let it roll a little bit and remember what's important and you know there's other things that work here and that actually helped me a ton in figuring that out yeah, building building the network and getting encouragement um, and just sort of affirmation that you're you're dealing with something in a way that seems reasonable from an outside voice is always helpful. And it sounds like you've got that with both your husband as well as um, other women. That's terrific advice, Joanne. Let's move to barriers and challenges. There's no way that you did not achieve all that you have achieved without hitting a lot of barriers and overcoming and breaking through a lot of challenges. Maybe give us an example of one of those breakthrough career moments for you. And then also a counterexample. When did you have an opportunity that you wish you could have a do-over, you know, wish you had handled differently and what'd you learn from it? Yeah. You know, I think the career defining moment was probably the decision to go into IT. That was not a path that uh, I had ever anticipated or contemplated. It was something that I found interesting. And I saw a need and an opportunity arose and I sort of leapt at it. So a fair amount of risk probably in that leap, leaving behind my clinical and operational sort of roles and going in. But I felt like I was at a point in my life where I could do it and I had support. And, and so just jumping in. So I think, you know, taking that risk on when it may not have been the most intuitive and it certainly wasn't the safest. Uh, so I'd say that that was probably uh, key. You know, as far as something that I didn't handle as well, what I would say is I think there's always things that we wish we could do over. And, you know, I think my key thing is to try to think through things. And as I'm making decisions about them, to try to think about, will I regret doing this or will I regret not doing it and trying to differentiate? And I try to kind of think through things that way. So I think you know, in the kind of the do-over or wish I'd done differently kind of category or something that didn't go so well, I think they tend to fall into two categories. So one is where there's outside of your necessarily direct control, things happen and your reaction to them. And the other is where you are in direct control and you react differently. So I'll say that you know, there were several times where I was left out of meetings and left out of situations where I definitely should have been involved based upon my role, my job, my value that could be added, how I felt it was important to the organization's long-term well-being. And I did not, I, I feel like, like there were times that I did not step up and step in as much as I should have to, to um, stand up for myself in those situations. And that I wish I had had done that. I think on the, the second type where I wish I had done some things differently that were in my direct control as, a, as an outside, I think that sometimes some of the behaviors that I saw displayed by others across my career that I felt I needed to, that were not necessarily the most, uh, I will say supportive or the best or uh, brought out the best in people. Sometimes I felt like I fell into that same trap and treated others probably not the way I wish I would have because of the environment, the stress, the circumstances, or the behavior that I saw being modeled. And I, 
I really did. That was one where I really did a lot of thinking about it. And I kind of went back and said, you know, this isn't me. This isn't who I want to be. And I really rethought my approach to that. But so I think we always kind of have those situations. What I would say to people is don't dwell on them too long because what seems huge to you in the moment or even in a lifetime may not, people may not even remember it or may not think anything of it. But also calling it out and dealing with it, dealing with whatever a situation is with authenticity, with, you know, a sense of yourself sounds like an important part of um, what your counsel is for both yourself, as well as um, other women. And I think that's really um, spot on, Joanne. And maybe to just dig in a little bit further on that, you know, you speak with a level of calm, you speak with um, clear confidence in terms of how you approach situations, as well as a perspective of I might not always get it right, but I'll correct it and um, move forward and not try to dwell on the past, which I think is some of what you were saying there. But on that confidence piece, where's that coming from? A lot of women struggle with confidence, struggle um, in their, that sense of confidence. Do you Have you always had it? Did you learn it? Give us some perspective. I wish I could say I always had it. I think at points in my career, I had it. Um, but I'd say it's more learned over time. And I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the imposter syndrome, I think that plagues everybody at some point, regardless of who you are and how accomplished you are. You have moments of self-doubt or should I be here? Or, you know, I'm not really qualified to be here. And certainly that plagued me at various points in my career and, and was fueled by some things that, that happened to me and some situations that I found myself in. So I really had to kind of learn to take a step back and think through how to engage. And, and the fact that I was given a seat at the table means I should be there. And I needed to step into that and to own that and to not let myself mostly undermine that perspective. So it was really kind of a very sort of taken some time, thoughtful exercise in making sure that I took the opportunity that was there and, and owned it and really made it my own. I think the other thing that I learned and I went to a program on women on boards and you know the role of people on boards and there was some great advice in there and it was, uh, you know, this woman was talking about joining a board of a publicly traded company and how intimidating that could be and what was her advice. And her advice was, you know, you got to listen. And she said, and then you've got to listen some more and even listen some more. So before you really say anything or jump in or feel that you're forced to provide value early on, sit back and listen to what's going on and take it all in and provide a perspective if you have one that's different or adds value at the end and do it in a way that's succinct, gets to the point and gets your point across. And it is amazing how people respond to that. And that is some advice I took to heart. And that's why I say this is learned um, because I really try, I am not the first person to talk in meetings. I even, you know, I will jump in if need be, I will get called on and then I usually have some perspective to add and I try to make sure that it is on point and succinct and, and gets the message across quickly because I think that that's one thing we can do when we're not feeling very confident 
is we tend to want to prove to ourselves and to others that it's important I'm here and I can add value. So you talk too much, you overstate what you're saying, you keep repeating, and it just kind of undermines the whole message you're trying to get across. That's great, great advice. I want to ask you a question that one of the listeners of Inspiring Women has asked. And so a younger woman who early in her career um, wants to know about how, how do I assess my own value? How do I negotiate compensation? That's when people ask what their value, I think they're usually asking about compensation. So what advice would you give to younger women earlier in their careers about that? That is always a tough one. And I think that I didn't always do the best job for myself at that. So I try to help others as they're going through it. And a lot of it can be situational and depend upon the role and depend upon the pool of candidates or even the pool of peers that you've got. So so sometimes there's more negotiation allowed than others. But I think the key thing is have in your mind before you go into a situation what you think your value is or what you're looking for. You may be looking for a job that what may feel like is a lateral move, but you want more you know, compensation for it or because of the expertise you bring to it. Or you may be thinking about you know, taking a step up and then what should that be? And, you know, and it's sort of like selling a house. Sometimes our perceptions are not aligned with the realities, but I would say is have an idea of what you think you want. I think the other thing is try to figure out what is a win-win for the organization or the role you know, that's, that has the role? You know, what is a win-win to ensure that you're going in with what are they want to achieve and what do I want to achieve? And what they want to achieve might not necessarily be in the course of, of compensation, but it might be the value that you bring to the table. So being able to articulate, here's what I bring to this role that you need that is going to improve the outcome or our success. And I think the other thing is, if you have the opportunity, keep going through the interviews. Don't talk about salary up front and get to the point where it's hard for them to not select you for a role because you've met with all the people, everyone likes you, everybody wants you for the role. And then it comes down to the salary and either the hiring manager or HR is like, oh no, we can't pay you. Then they have to go back and tell all those people that they just spent all the time, you spent all the time with, hey, we couldn't hire her. So make it so the point that you get you improve your negotiating position to the best you can is what I would say as you're able to. So it gives you a chance to prove yourself in the interview. Sometimes you're going to take a job because it's the right job. Take the job, even though it may not be at the compensation you want, and then go back and negotiate for more because the job gets you something else. It might get you a title. It might get you experience. It might get you an opportunity to work with some great people. So don't hesitate to take a job even if it's not quite at the compensation you expect, because you can go back and do that once you have hit it out of the park. Joanne, that's unbelievable advice. There are a lot of women who, and we're in a hopefully post-pandemic world soon, um, and a lot of job volatility out there. So that is just terrific advice for many people. Joanne, let's close out. This has been a great conversation. I've really appreciated it. Any last advice you'd like to give women, and and more specifically, younger women who are start just starting out? You know, a um, couple of things, and I think I mentioned them through. So First is take risks, especially if you're early in your career. Many of us get into jobs or with companies and we stay with them for our lifetime or for a really long time. 
take a risk, get out there, try something new, move, try a new geography, a new company, a new role, do something different that might feel really risky at the time. I think you'll be happy you did it. I would say don't settle. Like if you're not being treated or you're not valued in the way that you think you should be or, or um, what you're bringing to the table, don't settle for it. You know, start kind of either speaking up or looking elsewhere. And I would say the third thing is be true to yourself. Don't lose yourself in trying to fit in or be something that you're not or being somebody that you're, you're really just not cut out to be. Joanne, this is great advice and it's great advice to close out on on International Women's Day. Joanne, if people want to follow you or connect with you, where can they find you? I'm on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, let me know you listen to the podcast. It'll make it easier for me to, to accept you and I'm happy to expand my network. All right, Joanne, thanks so much. This has been a great episode of Inspiring Women. Thank you for a great conversation. Thanks, Lori. Appreciate it. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.